Hey church, it's so good to be with you again. Uh, as we lean in to speak about and reflect on and seek the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is crucial to our journeys. And Jesus, just to remind you before we even get there tonight, in the text said, it's good for you that I leave because I'll send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is good for you. It is good for you, actually, that Jesus has left and he has sent his Spirit. It's good for you because the Spirit of God is with you. The Spirit of God is guiding, He is comforting, He is empowering. But it's curious if you go to Google and you just chuck in Holy Spirit and then you go to the images. I was curious to see what the images would bring up because images often communicate more than the search results. Nearly every image that comes up without exception in my search was a dove. No, seriously, one time in all of Scripture, that the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit primarily being in like a dove, and every image is a dove. There was probably a couple images of like one dude with fire bursting out his chest, which I guess betrays the, the nature of the Holy Spirit as a consuming fire, possibly. Or you saw a handful of uh, images further down with people with their hands in the midst of church or something to that effect. Uh, showing probably something to the effect of the empowering the Holy Spirit within the context of a church gathering or something to that effect, but a dove. That was the primary image. Now, now, none of these are wrong, yet it's important to note that we often seem to forget that the Spirit of God is not here as some sort of soft dove that brings peace in every circumstance. That just gives you tingles in the middle of a church gathering. Rather, he is the Holy Spirit of God. He calls us to holiness. He convicts us about unholiness. He conforms us to the holy and righteous image of Christ. You know, over the years, I've heard this statement in one form or another time and time again when I hear someone justifying themselves doing things that go against the inspired scripture, the scripture that is inspired by the same spirit. And they say something to, some, to this effect, well, Josh, I prayed about it and I, I feel I'm at peace with this. And I've heard everything from adultery to running off with someone's, uh, their boyfriend to all sorts of things being justified by, oh, well, I prayed about it. And can I tell you, if it, if it is the Holy Spirit, it is a holy outcome. And I really want to dive into this because no, I don't know whether that person prayed about it. I highly suspect they did not. But that was not the Holy Spirit speaking. Humans may be double-minded, but God is not. And Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry in the primary text we're going to look at today. He is preparing for life, or he's preparing his disciples for life without him present. They are told that they will be persecuted and people will even think they're doing good by persecuting them, we see early in John 16. They are told that they must actively abide in him or the Father as a gardener may trim them or prune them away, we see in John 15. He, he prays for his disciples, not only that they may be one, which we often focus on, but that they would be protected 
from the world and the nature of the world. And we see this in John 17. This is the surrounding environment of John 16, where despite all this trouble that is to come, Jesus says, it is good for you that I'm going away. You know, if you were sitting with Jesus and Jesus is in the room, this is the guy that has walked on water. This is the guy who's laid hands on the sick, that has raised the dead, that has known the mind of men and women alike, that has done the incredible by raising himself from the dead. If this guy is in the room and he says, hey, it's good for you that I go, I suspect you're going to doubt what he's saying. But he says, it's good for you that you go because I will send the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to catch this because it's good for you that you know the Holy Spirit. It's good for you that you experience the conviction and the leading of the Spirit, even at times when the surrounding circumstances may seem bad. This is, this is good for you that Jesus has left and the Holy Spirit is, has come and is dwelling with us in a different way than he was with the people of Israel. So come with me and catch this. We're in John chapter 16 and verse 7. And he says this, John 16 verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it's good for you that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You know, if I go away, the advocate or the paraclete in, uh, in Greek, the uh, paraclete is often translated as comforter or helper, the one who will come beside If I go away, I will send the paraclete, the advocate, the helper, the comforter, the one who will come beside you. He will, we know this, he will enable and empower you. He will guide you. But in what way? Because Jesus actually tells us in what way he will do this. If you come with me, continue through the text. I I would love it if you have a physical Bible in hand. And Can I encourage you, grab a pen and scribble. Write notes, underline things, circle, ask questions and dig into the word because the word um, is the bread that we get to, to grab every day and feed our souls with as the Holy Spirit and the word comes together and brings life. So when he comes, Jesus says, verse eight, and remember, this is he. The Holy Spirit is not just a force. It's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. When he comes... He will convict or he will prove the world wrong about sin, about righteousness and about judgment. Sin, what is wrong before God, what separates us from God. Righteousness, what is right before God, what conforms to God. And judgment, God's decision and God's final Uh, I guess, judgment, dare I say, on these matters. Three things. And I want to go through these things because when we're following the Spirit, we need to understand the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. We have not simply been called out from the world that we might get lost in the wilderness, pining for slavery again in Egypt like the people of Israel did. 
Rather, we are called out from the world, slavery to sin, that we might enter into the promises of God, that we might conform to the image of Christ, that we might become everything, both as an individual and as a family, maybe, uh, or, and certainly as a community that God has called us to. When he comes, he will come to convict about sin, righteousness and judgment. And he goes on and catches these three things. And it says about because three things about sin. What is sin? Sin is anything and everything that goes against the word, will and character of God. It goes against the word of God or the command of God. First John 3, 4 tells us it is to rebel against God himself. Deuteronomy 9, 7 and Joshua 1, 18 shows us sin is, and we're showing this in Genesis, at its very core, sin is to think that we can be equal with God, that we can act like God is holding something back from us, something good back from us. That's what is happening in Genesis, the, the, the seedbed of our whole story, the seedbed of all good theology. Sin, it says, is this, verse 9, about sin, because people do not believe in me. We, we sin instinctively because we are born with an inherent disposition toward it. Our fleshly instincts, those things born of Adam, in, just lean in that direction insatiably. We live wholly, however, because the Holy Spirit lives within us and inspires us and breathes life in us and changes our heart towards holiness. As we live in the Holy Spirit, we desire the holy things of God. We desire the righteousness of God. And so as you journey at times, there will be a war between the flesh and the spirit. There will be a war in one sense between Adam uh, of the flesh and the new Adam in Christ in the spirit. This is going on in us. And the problem at its heart with sin is an issue of belief. He says this, I want you to see something important here about sin because people do not believe in me. And catch this, behind all sin is a place of unbelief. Behind all sin is a place of unbelief. Unbelief and sin, unsurprisingly, go together. Of course, this is true of those that have a specific lack of faith in Christ. But this is also true of all sin and all people. When someone decides to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and justifies their selfishness, they have actually said that they do not believe in God as provider. They have ignored God's word, which tells us to look after the poor, the destitute and the needy because, well, I earned this. This is mine or something to that effect. When I decide that my savings account is more important than my giving, I again have a sin of unbelief. And I am saying I do not actually believe in the goodness of God. Oh, I might 
believe in it a little bit, but I've got a backup. And what I'm not saying that it's wrong to say, but what I'm saying is that when the Holy Spirit convicts you to give, your impulse should be to give over to question and uh, move to a place of self-sustenance. There's an issue of unbelief going on. When I decide that my choices in relationship can go against the inspired word of God, I'm actually saying that my relationship with Jesus is not enough. I'm actually saying that Jesus is not enough. Can I tell you something so simple it can change your life? Can I tell you something so simple it can change your life? I don't care where you are. I don't care what is happening in your life. I don't care what relationship you are in. Jesus is enough. There is no need for substitutes, no need for just in cases. There is no ground to disobey him because I'm sure, well, I'm not sure he'll come through. Jesus is enough. All these things are motivated by a core of fear rather than faith. Not fear of God, but fear of something else. A fear maybe of being alone, a fear of being rejected, a fear of not having enough. And we find our contentment in the natural rather than in the supernatural. Jesus is enough. Believe this. And when you do have a relationship, it will be one centered on Jesus. When you do have finance, it will be focused on Jesus. When you lack finance, you will still have a weird contentment because Jesus. The Holy Spirit. I want you to catch this, actually. And I do want to specifically look down. I actually believe right now that as somebody is listening to this message, that somebody has been convicted about a relationship they're in. I actually want this to hang for a moment. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. I believe that somebody right now, as I'm speaking, as you're listening, has been struggling with a relationship that they know is not what God wants for them. And you've tried to reason it out in your head. You've tried to come up with all reasons why this person is good or good for you. But anything less than Jesus and what the Spirit is leading you to and guiding you in, both through his word and through conviction, is not enough. Jesus is enough. Uh, I want to speak to you right now, and I encourage you, it's time to follow the Spirit. Just do it. Why? Because Jesus is enough. Jesus continues on and he says, the, sin, the Spirit will come to convict about sin. And then he says about righteousness. Why? And I love this. And I've been pondering this a lot this week about righteousness. Because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. About righteousness. Now, now, I want you to note here, Jesus here is the primary standard bearer. The reason the Spirit is convicting us about righteousness is actually because we can't see Jesus. 
We need the Spirit because I don't know what Jesus would do in every situation. There is an old phrase, and you probably, you probably know it. What would Jesus do? Um, that's not a bad statement, of course. Sometimes I'm quite sure I know what Jesus would do because I've read it in the Scriptures. Sometimes choices are actually a little bit more complex than that because I, I'm not sure what I should do in every circumstance because Jesus didn't give me a direct example. Who should I marry? Should I marry this guy? Should I marry this girl? Well, they love Jesus. Is that enough? Should I take this course or the other? Both could be used for his kingdom. Should I move to another country to love my neighbor there? We can sometimes lean back in the moment with these sort of questions and we rely still on our own wisdom. But Jesus actually says that his sending the spirit, that he would convict us about righteousness. Why? Because you're not going to be able to see him. So you're going to need to follow what the spirit is saying to us. What would Jesus do in some of those circumstances? I'm not sure, but I know the Spirit knows, and I know the Spirit is guiding, and I know the Spirit is leading in all of this. I can tell you that the Spirit of God has convicted me of righteousness, of the right thing to do before God in many circumstances, consistent with the written Word of God, but sometimes circumstantially different than anything I directly see in the Word of God. This is why the nature of conscience led by the Spirit is really important. This is also why, by the way, that people can address a similar circumstance where there is breadth of wisdom in the Scriptures or specific circumstantial wisdom in the Scriptures and apply it slightly different. Some might be surprised to know that I don't drink alcohol. None. None at all. I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink wine. I don't drink beer. I don't drink light beer. I drink nothing at all. Now, I could give you some logical and cultural and social reasons why that is the case. I could give you some missional reasons why that is the case. But at the end of the day, the actual reason is the Holy Spirit has convicted me not to drink alcohol. Now, here's where people find it a bit difficult. They think because the Holy Spirit has convicted me in my circumstance and my call not to drink alcohol, then thus I would be judging them if they drink alcohol. Now, Scripture is clear, by the way, that drunkenness is wrong. And scripture is clear in giving warnings about alcohol and being careful in regard to alcohol. But Jesus drank wine. There was no refrigeration. I doubt that Jesus is, I don't doubt, I have no doubt that Jesus was not doing, putting down shots at the bar. But can I tell you, the wine he drank was nearly always alcoholic on some level. But of course, John the Baptist, his own cousin, did not because he was a Nazarite. In the same way, this is the nature of following the righteousness of God in disputable manners when the primary question actually is, how is the Holy Spirit leading you in this? What is the benefit to the kingdom of God? The conviction 
of the Holy Spirit is crucial because Jesus can't be seen in every question. The righteousness of the kingdom of God is practical, can I tell you, and reverses the standards regularly seen in social order in this world. In Luke 3, verse 11, it shows us that there is practical righteousness in giving, in selfless giving. Verse 14 of Luke 3 tells us that um, extortion, he's talking to the Roman soldiers or to soldiers, and manipulation of position is unrighteous. Jesus promises us, actually, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Here's the promise. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, that area that you are fearful about being empty, the Spirit of God is going to fill that with something much better. I'm not going to say it's going to be in the same shape or the same way, but if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. You will be rewarded. God will come to you in a sense, and he will walk with you in that place. You can trust him. And I I want to speak into this moment because so often people, the issue at heart is an issue of trust. They fear that if I do not do this, I am going to miss out. But it continues on and says, convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it says, and about judgment, verse 11, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The principalities and powers, the demonic and the devil himself, are under judgment. They have been defeated The end is coming. And scripture is clear. All will stand and give account. All of us. The Apostle Paul is speaking in Acts 17, and it's one of my favorite passages, and you'll know this most likely if you've listened to me. And it says this, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. There is justice and judgment coming. We may be able to avoid circumstantial uh, fruit in this life. We may be able to take a pill to try and overcome our disobedience in the short term, but judgment is coming and the Holy Spirit is present with us and convicting us. Why? Because he wants to conform us to the image of Christ because what he wants for us is abundant life, not not imitation life. Come with me just lastly to to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and hear this out. We're going to read from 1 to 11. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built with human hands. So catch that just straight up. I don't know what you're going through, but it does not matter whether it is even death itself. Don't worry because... Even if the tent we live in is destroyed, we have, a, we have a heavenly home. Meaning, while we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. 
For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And I want you to catch that for a moment. What the world is promising you is mortal, it is momentary, and it leads to destruction. What the Spirit is leading you toward is life, and life abundantly, and life without end. Now catch this, verse 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us his Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For if we live by faith, for rather we live by faith, not by sight. At home in the body, we are away from the Lord, but we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body at home with the Lord. So, Catch this, verse 9, 10, 11. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due for us, uh, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And it goes on in just the first bit of chapter 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. The Holy Spirit of God, who loves you, who is grieved at our rebellion, who empowers and enables us, who comforts and guides us, is the Holy Spirit of God. And he convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of the judgment to come. And if we do not deal with these issues now before God, we will deal with them as unbelievers before the throne. Verse 12, and I just want to read this out, and then we're going to pray. I have much more, <laughs> I have much more to say to you. Uh, more than you can now bear. And I, <clears throat> I feel like that right now. We've got a number of weeks of the Holy Spirit series to come. I have much more to say to you, the Apostle Paul is speaking, more than you can bear, now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he, will, that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit purposes for himself in Christ to the glory of the Father, a holy and righteous people a royal nation of priests and kings and prophets. And so where you are today, wherever you have been, can I ask you, maybe take a moment, steal your spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin, of righteousness and of judgment because he does this so that we might know life 
and life in abundance, that we might know resurrection life that cannot be stolen, torn down or destroyed. We serve the Holy Spirit of God who walks beside us in every day. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you are good, that you are merciful, that you are holy, that in ourselves we have missed the mark, we live in lies of unbelief, we choose to dwell in fear rather than faith. And so right now, Lord, I pray that you would convict us and that we would turn to you. Lord, we know that often we possess salvation. We are sons and daughters of the King, but we don't walk like it. We still give ourselves over to the things of the flesh because we have a just-in-case mindset, because we have an unbelief mindset that says, this is still good for me. Right now, where we all sit, wherever we might be, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us, that we might be a holy people set apart for all the great things you will do in and through us. In your precious, precious name. Amen. Amen, guys. We love you. I look forward to talking. And if you've got a prayer request, if you've got a question, I just encourage you to shoot it through. We would love to continue as a church and as a community walking beside you in everyday life. God bless you.